You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. We're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 9 and follow along there. Eric is going to read for us this wonderful reading to get us started in the season of Advent, and we'll follow along together. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nepali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of this government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. All right, thank you, Erica. Well, today we do begin this season of Advent, of anticipating Christmas. And of course, it seems like in our culture, you can barely get to Halloween and the Christmas stuff takes off. But at least on the church calendar, this is the Sunday when we begin anticipating Christmas. And this year, Advent's going to feel even a little shorter than it normally would because of how the Sundays fall. So there's four Sundays in Advent, and the fourth one falls on Christmas Eve instead of Christmas Eve being later in the week. So we'll have to be extra diligent about savoring these days of anticipation. One of the ways that we do that at our house is by using an Advent calendar. I brought along one that the kids have, Paw Patrol. I know you immediately think Christmas story with this. I'm also reminded that Advent calendars have come a long ways since I was a kid. My sister and I would be content just to open a paper door and see the picture that was behind it. But now my kids open the door and get a piece of chocolate every day. (laughs) But those are a great way to do it. Uh, An Advent wreath, another way to count down to Christmas Day. The name Advent, we remind ourselves every year because it's Latin and isn't so familiar to us. The name Advent means arrival or coming. And the season of Advent is designed to help us remember the coming of Christ. Both his first coming as a baby in Bethlehem and also, as Andrew reminded us around communion, the second coming when he comes again in power and glory. Just a few days ago, I stood graveside at Riverside Cemetery in Monticello, a beautiful place overlooking the Mississippi And the sun was shining, and yet we're standing there as a casket is being lowered in the ground. And yet I was able to remind that family of this sister in Christ 
This is not the end of her story. But Jesus will come again. And when he does, this body will be raised up to new life. And that will be the second Advent when Christ comes again. For the Advent of Christmas this year, we're going to highlight the songs of Advent. We've selected for each Sunday a well-known Christmas hymn. And we've paired it with a passage of scripture like you heard this morning. And together they'll provide our focus each week. And we wanted to look at Christmas songs specifically because these songs are so rich in their content and yet also so familiar that they can really just sort of fade into the background noise of the season. Now you hear these songs when you're out shopping or you're at a coffee shop or maybe your kids choir or band concerts or listening on the radio. But we might forget, as these songs are just drifting by all the time, that they contain some of the most profound truths about Jesus and the meaning of Christmas. And we don't want to miss that. So this year we're going to slow it down and hear these songs of Advent, rediscover them in a sense, and listen to their biblical message. And they also carry with them some incredible backstories. So part of what we'll do is share who wrote this song, what was going on in their life at the time, what inspired them to write what they did. So that is our Advent plan, and today we have the first song, and that will be Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. We're going to sing this song at the close of worship after the message, but it's a song by Charles Wesley, and what I'd like to do is start by telling you a little bit more about Wesley then looking at some of the lyrics, and then connecting it to the passage from Isaiah 9. So that's our outline for today. But let's start with Wesley, and not with Charles, actually. We're going to start with his mother. Susanna Wesley is somebody that we should know about. She was born in London in 1669, married a man named Samuel. She was 19 years old. And they went on to have 19 children. One, nine. Nine of those children died as infants. Susanna Wesley lived in hard times. And she knew immense heartache. Her husband, Samuel, left her and the children for a year after a relatively minor disagreement that they had at home. He spent time in jail twice because he could not pay back his debts. Finances were a constant source of worry. Their house burned to the ground, not once, but twice. And the second time, their son John almost died and had to be rescued from the second-story window. After the fire, Susanna had to place her children in the homes of other people around town for almost two years while they tried to rebuild. In the times in which they lived, Susanna was responsible for nearly all aspects of her children's education. So the day after one of her children would turn five, they would begin their formal education. And she would give her children six hours of classroom instruction every day in their home. And she insisted all of the children receive the same quality of education, including her daughters. The children learned Greek Latin, and classical studies. Sunday afternoons, Susanna would assemble the family, the children, in the living room for a family worship time. And pretty soon, word of this 
family gatherings Sunday afternoons spread around town, and other people were asking if they could come and attend and bring their children. And so Susanna Wesley's house church grew to 200 people gathering in her home on Sunday afternoons. She treasured her daily devotional time, even in a busy house. And she had this system set up where the children knew if mom was sitting in a certain corner chair and she put her apron up over her head like a tent, that she was not to be disturbed. That's when she was praying. She wrote many reflections on Scripture that we still have today, excellent commentaries on the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, all that she wrote for use in the home. So why do I tell you about Susanna Wesley? You know, she didn't write this song. I tell you about her because I don't think you can understand or appreciate Charles Wesley if you don't know about his mother. I also want to encourage especially the moms who are with us, who are in the trenches of those child-rearing years where the days can seem so long. I want to encourage you with her story that your sacrifice and the energy that you are expending in pouring into the life of your children is a tremendous gift. So keep going and be inspired by Susanna Wesley. That brings us to her son, Charles. Get this, he was number 18 out of 19. Second to last. When he grew up, he went to college at Oxford, so I think her homeschool lessons probably were working out just fine. And while he was there, he started a prayer meeting, a student prayer meeting. Now, I don't know what you were doing at age 20. I think I was going to Taco Bell at 2 in the morning on a pretty regular basis. But Charles Wesley called his friends to pray. And they would study Scripture together, pray for one another, and they just desired and sought to live a godly life. Two years in, his older brother John, the one who'd been rescued from the fire, joined the group. And under John's leadership, this college discipleship group grew into what would become known as the Methodist movement. The name Methodist was originally pejorative. They were making fun of them when they called them Methodists for their intentional Bible study method and holy living. But the boys didn't mind. They had learned this method from their mother. And they knew the difference, and this is so key to understanding their time and what they were doing. They knew the difference between the dry religion that was meaningless and had enveloped much of England with what it meant to actually know and follow Jesus. They knew the difference. And they longed for their countrymen to experience the love of Christ, to read and apply the Bible for themselves personally, and to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. So to do that, after college was done, John and Charles traversed the British Isles by horse, preaching and singing the gospel wherever they went. Charles was the songwriter of the two. And he made this decision very early on in his life that he was going to write at least ten lines of poetry every day. And that practice allowed him to write almost 9,000 hymns in his lifetime. 
so that he and the American Fanny Crosby, who lived about 100 years later, the two of them, pretty much without debate, are considered the greatest hymn writers in all of history. Wesley wrote songs like, O Can It Be? We know that in the modern worship song, Amazing Love, it's the same song. O For a Thousand Tongues to Sing, and the Easter hymn, Christ the Lord is Risen Today, all from Wesley. He wrote 18 Christmas hymns, including the one that we'll look at today. But what I don't want you to do hearing about Wesley the hymn writer is picture him, you know, tucked away in the parlor room in England, you know, comfortably at his piano writing his poetry. What you have to picture with this guy is he and his brother John basically living on horseback. And they would travel from town to town, preaching in open fields, sometimes a little cluster of people, sometimes 10,000 people coming to hear. They would be chased off by mobs, faced harsh conditions, severe weather, and you read of their stories and you think, what would cause someone to choose that? Why endure such difficulty by your own choice? And the answer for them was really simple. It's because the saving love of Jesus that they knew was so good. It is so good that they just wanted to get out there in their country and tell other people about it. So our Advent hymn begins like this. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. The song begins with the story of God's people, doesn't it? Waiting for their expected Messiah. Longing for the Savior who would set them free. But what they didn't realize, the surprise they didn't see coming, is that God was defining the true nature of their captivity a little bit different than they were. It was not the invading foreign power of the Assyrians that we talked about last week. It wasn't an occupying political force like the Romans. No, the true captivity, the enslavement that they were in was one of the heart. They needed to look inward. So Wesley writes, from our fears and sins, release us. And I like that he had the insight to include both of those things. Fear and sin. You think about them. They're in tandem and yet distinct. And we see this all the way in the beginning of the story where Adam and Eve hid in the garden. It says exactly why. Because they were afraid. And why were they afraid? Because they knew they had sinned. And rebelled against God. And our human story has been marked by fear and sin ever since. We chose to live outside the garden where death and darkness cast their pall. But God wasn't finished yet. And that is the story that unfolds in Scripture. He had a salvation plan that he put in motion and a Savior to carry it out. Isaiah 9-2 from our reading, our Scripture reading. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And you can see Isaiah, 700 years before Bethlehem, he's looking ahead to Christmas. 
He's announcing that God has come with good news for the people of Israel by whom he will reach the rest of the world. You see that as Wesley's song continues. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And it was precisely that last clause, the joy of the heart, the fulfillment of the heart's longings that was missing in the religiosity of the time. And that's what drove the Wesleys to bring the gospel from place to place. So in March of 1748, we have an example from Charles Wesley's journal where he's pressing into Wales toward the city of Garth. And it took him three days to get there. And I want to share with you what he wrote in his journal each of those days. Wednesday, March 23rd. The continual rain and sharp wind were full in my teeth. I rode all day in great misery and had a restless, painful night. Thursday, March 24th. I resolved to push for Garth, finding my strength would never hold out for three more days of riding. At 5 a.m., I set out in hard rain, which continued all day. We went through perils of water. I was quite gone when we came at night to a little village. There was no fire in the poor hut. A brother supplied us with some, nailed up our windows, and helped us to bed. I had no more rest than the night before. Day 3, Friday, March 25th. I took horse again at 5. I can barely turn the coffee maker on at 5 o'clock, let alone, let alone this. I took horse again at 5, the rain attending us still. The weather grew more severe. The violent wind drove the hard rain full in our faces, I rode till I could ride no more, walked the last hour, and by five, twelve hours later, dropped down at Garth. Charles Wesley endured these kinds of things and more out of the joyful conviction that Jesus sets people free. In fact, historians, secular modern historians, looking back at this time in history, have concluded that the sole reason Great Britain did not experience the bloodshed of something like the French Revolution is because of the Wesleys and their horses. Does the message of Jesus set people free? It does. Let's look at the second verse of his song. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. I don't know what Charles Wesley was drawing on that inspired these lines, but I think it may well have been Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 6, Isaiah foretells the child Savior and he says, look at how this parallels, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Sort of how we can get used to Christmas songs, we can also somehow get used to the fact that the Son of God came as a baby. 
I had the chance just a few days ago to visit a long-awaited baby in the hospital. Michaelin and Trey's little baby girl. A long-awaited baby who made an early arrival, so she's staying there a little bit longer, but doing well. And yet you look at this little life, she's a little over five pounds now. She's completely dependent on her mom and her dad and on the care of the hospital staff. And I, I was there thinking, it's just amazing that God came as a baby. And then that same day, I arrive home at my house. I'm greeted by a two-year-old who is a walking disaster to everything he touches. He's just coming at you, spit and food on his face. <laughs> if Andre the Giant was a toddler, I think that would be him. That's what he reminds me of. And isn't it amazing that the Son of God, it's, it's not just this story of the baby in the manger, but the Son of God spent a year as a two-year-old. This is the way that God chose to save us. To put on human flesh. To come as a Savior King and bring a different kind of kingdom. Here's the closing lines of the song. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. As you look at that, can you see how Wesley presses for personal application? Rule where? In our hearts, by your Holy Spirit. And then he's looking ahead to the second advent. Raise us to thy glorious throne on that last day. Come, Lord Jesus, raise us up with your resurrection power. I'd like to finish by telling you one final story from the life of Charles Wesley. So we'll close here today. While he was still in college, not long after he founded that prayer meeting, he was in his young 20s, He'd been ministering for one week down the street at Newgate Prison in London. And so for a week, every day, he'd go and tell the inmates about Jesus, bring the hope of the gospel. And serving alongside him was a buddy of his who went by the name Bray. And Bray was uh, not at Oxford. He was poor and uneducated and worked as a mechanic. And I'm reading this story thinking, well, that sounds a lot like Jesus' disciples, doesn't it? A 20-something and a mechanic. And God is going to use them in a powerful way. One of the men they spoke to that week in the prison was a black man who had robbed his master and been therefore sentenced to death. This is the time of slavery when this is happening. By the end of the week, that man was suffering from a fever and was condemned to die the next day. So Wesley and Bray asked if they could be locked in overnight with the prisoners who were to be executed. A wish that was granted. So that night, they stayed up all night with the men and they shared the gospel. In Wesley's journal, he describes how they told the men about the one who had come down for them from heaven to save lost sinners. And they described how the Son of God had suffered and died an agonizing death, and he'd done so out of love to set them free. The next morning, the men were loaded onto a horse-drawn cart, and they were taken off to the execution site. 
and the ropes had already been fastened around their necks so that the cart could be simply driven off and leave them hanging in the air from the gallows. Wesley asked if he could go along, and he recorded the astonishing thing that he saw that day. Here's what he writes. They were all cheerful, full of comfort, peace, and triumph. Assuredly persuaded Christ had died for them and waited to receive them into paradise. The black man, especially, saluted me with his looks. As often as his eyes met mine, he smiled with the most composed, delightful countenance I ever saw. We left them going to meet their Lord, ready for the bridegroom. When the cart drove off, not one stirred or struggled for life, but they willingly gave up their spirits. I spoke a few words to the gathered crowd and returned full of peace and confidence in our friend's happiness. That hour under the gallows was the most blessed hour of my life. As I thought about the legacy of Charles Wesley this week, Here's the question I was asking myself. Is this real to me? Is my faith, my relationship with Jesus, as real to me as it was to Charles Wesley? Who locks themselves up for a night on death row? Who rides a horse for 12 hours in driving rain And then gets up to do it again the next day. Who writes almost 9,000 worship songs, not because he has to, but because he wants to? The one whose heart belongs to the Lord. Whose walk with him is so real and so wonderful that there is no hardship on earth that could ever shake it. So I have two questions for you this Advent, this first Sunday. Has the love of Jesus really set you free? And is your trust in Jesus bigger than the grave? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you for this Sunday to... Begin this walk toward Christmas. And I pray it would be a walk, Lord, that that we would be able to savor these days. Lord, would we be able to steal away and find precious moments with you in worship, maybe with our spouse, our children. We thank you, Lord, for the legacy of Charles Wesley as we sing so many of his songs. And we pray, Lord, we ask that the realness of his relationship with you would also be ours. I pray, Lord, that you would meet each one here in the specific fears and sins that have captured us. We pray, Lord, that you would break their bond. 
and set us free in new ways to follow you. We love you, Lord. May we live lives that are surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.